it's y'all's main angelic boo, Delilah of the Lilyfields, back to work some miracles and kick some ass. Busta ass deep state punk be trying to flex again. Well, to quote the late, great, DMX. Fuck you like a chicken with your head cut off. They'll find you with your back open and your legs cut off, and as for your man, don't you ever in your motherfucking life, know when I got a gun, come at me with a knife, aight? And forgetting you ever saw me is the best thing to do. Don't give a fuck about your robot ass deep state ass family, they'll be resting with you, biatch. Anywho, your girl's been partying in Ibiza for 40 days and 40 nights. I've saved so many drunk Euro girls from broken ankles, y'all have no idea. Yo, ladies, if you wanna rock those 6 inch heels, don't be mixing molly with cocaine with vodka like that. Just do the molly, that's Delilah's advice. MDMA great fucking drug. I've even worked some miracles while rolling my own damn face off. It's true. This one time, at the Pacific Northwest Regional Burning Man Festival, which they adorably call Soap, I was rolling my clit off, right? And I had eaten some mushrooms as well. And some acid. And fine, okay, some mescaline too. Anyway. So I was even farther above the clouds than usual. And I look down. And what do I see? Holy shit cakes, it was trippy. A writhing mass of baby spiders being carted on their mother's back across the damp mossy earth. Do you have any idea how formative that vision was for someone in my state of psychedelic sensitivity? It sticks with me to this day. And you know, when I think about it, I am kind of like that mama spider. And all y'all are kind of like those baby spiders. You can climb up on my abdomen, my sweet little spider chickadees, and hit a ride for a while. Mama Delilah will camouflage you from predators and give you a lift. Because hey, that's what angels do. Veiled, I'm off to the Ocean Beach Club to seriously vibe to some deep tropical grooves. Hypnotic shit, that Euro Deep House bullshit. I have a soft spot for it. It's my guilty pleasure, okay? Let a girl have her Euro beats for a spell. I'll be back to incubating nightmarish visions of menstrual blood metropolises in the sweaty head of the goddamn Pope and harvesting back stolen energy from the Vatican and redistributing it to the Sandinista front in Nicaragua soon enough. For now, it's oons, 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 womp, 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 womp for me. Fuck the Pope and fuck Joe Biden. Peace. Welcome, beautiful world, to Barbarian Noetics, the podcast dedicated to the human spirit. Barbarian Noetics is also dedicated to resisting and subverting the status quo. Especially as that status quo causes pain and unnecessary suffering around the world. There's certain aspects of the status quo that the BMP is totally cool with, like, you know, plenty of food to eat and 
blueberries for two bucks at the grocery store. Like, I'm, I'm cool with that stuff, just not the uh, endless uh, covert wars against democratic movements in the global south. It's that type of status quo that, that we, uh, we are militating against here at the BMP. I am an Abert squirrel foraging for ponderosa pine seeds in the Coconino National Forest. And as always, I am your loyal host, Conan Tanner. What's up everybody? What's good? How you doing? I'm coming at you from an early Sunday afternoon here in South Phoenix. It's of course hot and sunny because we in May but I did get up to Flagstaff yesterday and checked out the Arboretum at Flagstaff as well as some 800-year-old petroglyphs at this place called Picture Canyon. And that was amazing as anyone who's an uh, old head of the show knows that I'm super into like prehistory and, and especially the prehistory of the pre-European history, European contact history of the Southwest. So to see these 800-year-old petroglyphs and then I just like did the math in my head like, 800 years ago holy fucking shit dude that was the 13th century that was the year 1221 unbelievable like that's that's really astounding to think about that that's when these beautiful petroglyphs were sculpted and it's also kind of like my kind of art because i can't draw anything realistic i'm i'm a big fractal and kind of draw like uh lines and spirals and geometries and stuff like that i'm that kind of a dude and that that was the types of petroglyphs that i saw although there were also some really nice renditions of uh what appeared to be antelope or i guess elk maybe elk um i'm not sure exactly what the big fauna was in the 13th century uh it looked like that type of a thing a deer type thing with horns <laughs> but uh yeah so anyways i got up there i got out of dodge i breathed in some fresh air i bathed in the forest bathed in all those beneficial chemicals that precipitate off of the trees and the needles of the ponderosa pines and so i do feel quite replenished today and uh really excited to get this podcast out to all y'all So this week's episode is another solo hodgepodge ep. Uh, we lean heavily on those zany audio tidbits y'all know and love. So we got some robots, we got some words from sponsors, we got some exotic presidential pets, and more. And then for your veggies this week, we discuss the truly despicable, like jaw-droppingly disgusting predatory capitalism of big pharma firms, and specifically uh, the, the vaccine giant Pfizer, whose behavior right now around the world perfectly underlines the genocidal logic of unfettered late-stage capitalism. And that is not an overstatement or an exaggeration. Uh, it is a genocidal logic. Um, I also interview my neighbor, Reynaldo, about his home country of Cuba. It's a short interview, so it's going to be the first of what I hope will be many interviews with Reynaldo because um, he's my neighbor and he's my friend and he's my mechanic <laughs> and he's just a, a good guy um, with a lot of really cool stories. And so I hope that this is the first of many interviews with Reynaldo. Um, and then we end the episode with some sobering words from political prisoner 
Mumia Abu-Jamal, who is currently shackled to his bed in defiance of Geneva Convention, and even the UN has stated that it's completely unacceptable how he's being treated. He's currently shackled to his bed while he recovers from open heart surgery and COVID-19. So think about the weakened state that you must be in, you know, in jail, you just had open heart surgery, plus you're recovering from COVID, and they still shackle him to his bed, and he is a political prisoner, he is innocent. So um, just wanted to kind of highlight what was going on with Mumia and uh, just let him speak to finish out the show. So that's this week's episode, and I hope you all enjoy. I want to thank everyone so much for tuning in, for integrating me into your day, and for supporting the podcast. I could not do it without you all. Big shout out to my patrons, my homies out there. Thank you. I appreciate you. I hope you are reaping the positive karma, the positive benefits. And I hope you're also getting uh, the exotic uh, Amazonian insect collection uh, that you receive when you... You do not receive any Amazonian insect collection. When you become a patron of the BMP. And you can, you too can become a patron of the BMP. And you can join our growing tribe of philosopher barbarians and help keep me on the air at www.patreon.com slash noetics. I can really use your financial support for as little as a dollar a month. You get bonus content. You get a direct line to me. Um, you get a dream interpretation. You get a haiku. Uh, really, you get all kinds of stuff if you if you want to if you become a patron and you contact me and you have a favor to ask if there's any way if I can do it I will do it so um, and then you can also support the podcast for free by rating reviewing and subscribing to the BMP wherever you listen to podcasts especially if you listen to Apple Podcasts please give those five stars and a little positive review and that really really helps me uh, reach more people so we can expand our audience and expand our tribe of philosopher barbarians and bring about a new uh, golden age of peace prosperity and egalitarianism here on planet earth so with all that said everyone uh, we're going to go ahead and get into this episode of the bmp i hope you enjoy and i'll talk to you later peace Conciencia cósmica de herencia mágica Buscando en la sombra los rastros de mi alma Aprendiendo a convertirme en animal como un Nahual Soy un cuerpo transitando el camino espiritual No es lineal, mi lenguaje es ancestral Viajo en una espiral Entre mundos y fronteras cuestionando lo real El bien y el mal, lo desigual Lo heredado, lo adquirido y lo impuesto por igual Soy criatura entre culturas surgando entre la basura Las creencias que me anulan para darle sepultura Madre natura, sutura con ternura La ruptura de mi cuerpo cuando solte mi dura armadura Y es que no madura, una herida sin cura Una mente sin locura, un corazón sin ataduras Fluir es destruir y volver a construir Una casa sin paredes y perder miedo a morir Mestiza uh. soy, contradicción a dos voy con cuatro del maíz en mi color yo mestiza soy contradicción a dos voy con cuatro colores del maíz en mi color yo mestiza soy contradicción a dos cuatro colores del maíz en mi color mestiza soy contradicción a dos cuatro colores del maíz en mi color mestiza soy mestiza soy cuatro colores mestiza soy Mestiza soy, mestiza soy, cuatro colores, 
big pharma. We hate them, folks, don't we? We really do. I mean, you got the opioid epidemic, you got fentanyl, you got all sorts of fucked up shit, and we know that big pharma has its tentacles very deep into the highest channels and sectors of power in Washington. Their lobbying army is one of the more powerful lobbying armies in the world. And so now uh, we have some new information coming out of the lovely, the lovely messenger RNA giant of the moment, Pfizer. Pfizer is has been acting just absolutely ethically despicably, which shouldn't really be a surprise, but specifically in negotiations with Latin American countries uh, for the vaccine. And so information is coming out in specifically with the two countries that just refused for a long time to make any kind of deal with Pfizer were Argentina and Brazil. Now, Brazil has since decided to partner with or they decided to get 100 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine in March. Who knows what the fuck Pfizer demanded in exchange for those? Because in the case of Argentina, what we know for a fact, and I'm not going to speak too long on this because I'm going to let uh, a video I found of uh, an Indian newscast um, explain better. So it's not just my voice yammering forever about this. But basically, uh, they were like, okay, you want you want the vaccine? Cool. Um you're not going to get it unless you completely uh, exonerate us. Like, I don't know what the term is. There's, there's no repercussions whatsoever, no legal repercussions for any sort of malfeasance or mistakes on Pfizer's part. That's what that was the demand they were making to Argentina. That we're only going to give you this vaccine if you completely. I think is it indemnify? It might be indemnify. But you basically you sign a contract saying that even if we manufacture poison and give it to your people and kill thousands of people that you cannot hold us responsible in even the slightest iota and in fact Pfizer said you have to get international insurance to cover our mistakes any mistakes we make you Argentina you have to get international insurance to cover that so Argentina was like this is pretty fucked up but they're being held ransom you know they're being held ransom because that's how this system works and that's how predatory capitalism works specifically you know, for this situation in regard to vaccines. And uh, and then, of course, meanwhile, too, if Argentina were to, say, get the Sputnik V vaccine from Russia, then they would be sanctioned by Washington for working with Russia. Or if they got the Cuban vaccine, they would be sanctioned by Washington for getting the Cuban vaccine. So they're really being held ransom on two counts by the uh, predatory capital firm, big pharma firm Pfizer, and then also by... Uh, Washington itself with the, the sanction policies and the, the way that they punish people, even their allies. If their allies say like, you know, deliver oil to Venezuela or something, they will sanction the allies like secondary sanctions. It's, it's grotesque and murderous. So anyways, Argentina eventually was like, fucking fine. Okay, we'll get international insurance. We'll indemnify you from any, I hope I'm using that word right, <laughs> from any possible future claims, even if you straight up just manufacture cyanide and give it to our people, fine, okay. And, uh, and then Pfizer was like, all right, cool, well, I'm glad you came around to that, but uh, we, want, we actually want more stuff. And, and Argentina's like, what do you mean you want more stuff? They're like, yeah, we want 
We want full unfettered access to one of your glaciers, one of your freshwater glaciers, because Kamala Harris is running around talking about how there have been wars fought over oil for generations and soon the wars will be fought over water. That's the that's the uplifting, positive and uh, really productive message being put forth by future presidential candidate Kamala Harris is that we need to start preparing for the water wars. So Pfizer is apparently taking this to heart and they're like, well, uh, yeah, we want Basically, we want to own your glacier. So if you want these vaccines, you have to give us your glacier. And not only that, you have to give us your fish stocks. You have to give us your natural resources of fish stocks. They want complete uh, ownership of these fisheries as well in Argentina. So, yeah, Argentina was like, go a fuck yourselves. And I'm pretty sure they've gotten the Sputnik one since. But I mean, how disgusting is that? But anyways, enough of me yammering. Um, I'm going to let this uh, news report go now and we'll take it from there. I'll see you on the other side. Peace. Yep, and sure enough, I just looked it up and Argentina did say, tell Pfizer to go fuck themselves and then immediately got on the horn to Russia and said, we will take your Sputnik V vaccine. And uh, this is from Reuters, Argentine lab strikes deal to produce Russia's Sputnik V vaccine. Um, An Argentine laboratory has struck a deal to help produce Russia's COVID-19 vaccine Sputnik V. According to a company statement shared by the country's government, uh, Liboratorios Richmond has signed a memorandum of understanding with Russia's RDIF Sovereign Wealth Fund to be able to manufacture the vaccine, which has so far been the main drug used in Argentina's fledgling inoculation program. Argentina was one of the first countries in the region to sign an agreement with Russia to buy Sputnik V and has already received 1.22 million doses from the Russian Gamaleya Institute. So uh, also to any of my Argentine listeners out there, if you could snag an extra one, uh, I want the Sputnik one is, is the one that I want as well. So if you could get me one of them Sputnik Vs. I would love it. Uh, Sputnik V is a viral vector vaccine. It's not a creepy-ass experimental DARPA mRNA vaccine, and it's only one shot. Uh, And I trust Russia more than I trust the U.S. So (laughs) give me that Sputnik V, baby. All right, back to the show. While countries like India are selling free vaccines to poorer nations, there are companies like Pfizer which are bullying governments. It's a story in contrast and what a stark contrast this is. The US-based company Pfizer is holding governments to ransom, interfering with their legislation, even demanding military bases as guarantee. Would you believe it? A vaccine maker asking for a country's military base in return for vaccines. On Gravitas tonight, we'll bring you two horror stories from Latin America and the bizarre demands that Pfizer is making. Let's start by looking at Pfizer's business in the region. 
It has vaccine deals with nine Latin American countries. Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, Dominican Republic, Ecuador, Mexico, Panama, Peru, and Uruguay. Two major Latin American nations are missing from this list, Argentina and Brazil. Neither has a deal with Pfizer, but both have a story to tell. Let's start with Argentina. Talks between Argentina and Pfizer began in June 2020. In July, President Alberto Fernandez held a meeting with Pfizer's CEO in Argentina. Guess what followed? Pfizer asked to be compensated for the cost of any future lawsuits. What does that mean? Say someone files a civil lawsuit against Pfizer in Argentina, and if that person wins the case, who pays the compensation? It won't be Pfizer. It would be the government of Argentina. Now, Argentina had never done this before, but it made an exception. It needed life-saving vaccines, and desperate times call for desperate measures. So Argentina's parliament passed a new law in October 2020. But Pfizer was unhappy with its phrasing. The law said Pfizer needs to at least pay for negligence, for its own mistakes, if it happens to make any in future. Pfizer rejected this. It won't pay for its mistakes. Argentina then offered to amend the law, to define negligence more clearly, to include only vaccine distribution and delivery under negligence. Pfizer was still not happy. It demanded the law be amended through a new decree. That's when Argentina put its foot down. They refused. Pfizer then asked Argentina to buy an international insurance. What for? To pay for potential future cases against the company. Argentina agreed. In December 2020, Pfizer came back with more demands. It wanted sovereign assets as collateral. What does that mean? Pfizer wanted Argentina to put, and listen to this, put its bank reserves, its military bases, and its embassy buildings at stake as collateral. Pfizer wanted Argentina to put its sovereignty at stake for what? Just to secure vaccines. There is no doubt that Pfizer is sitting on a pile of life-saving drugs. But what gives it the right to bully a government? Profiteering from your plight and mine. You see, vaccine manufacturers have always enjoyed a certain amount of liability waiver. Say you receive a vaccine from Pfizer, you have adverse effects because of the jab. You can always go ahead and file a lawsuit against the company. And if you win that lawsuit, instead of Pfizer, it will be the government that will be compensating you. And this is a normal practice. In the United States, for example, the PrEP Act, that's the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act, gives total immunity to companies like Pfizer and Moderna. But this is only if something goes wrong unintentionally. This does not apply to negligence. Pfizer is not happy with that. It, it wants more, not just sovereign assets, but a fraud insurance. Argentina was not okay with this. to you. You already know, you grimy pillock, yes yes of course it's the British robo-deep state. 
I've just been on the horn with the ominously moist-faced CEO of Pfizer, Albert Bura, who does a fine job running the official Big Pharma, an capitalist conglomerate of the British robo-deep state. The people at Pfizer are doing what good people do, exploiting a global health crisis in order to maximize profit. It's the right, natural, thing to do. As Adam Smith said, and I am paraphrasing here, quote, people are total dodgy slags, and nobody not nobody does anything at all except in the interest of furthering their own ambition via zero-sum wealth accumulation strategies. Unquote. If you're not good at amassing wealth, that means you are either lazy or dumb. Either way, those are the Muppets we've got to purge, before we can achieve our dystopic dream of a perfectly unfettered global market that divides the people rightfully either into rulers, like myself, or serfs, like you, you mucky talker of tosh. I've been monitoring your electronic communications, Conan you rubbish nutted tosser, and I know you're making moves to Havana to acquire the Cuban vaccine. Yes, of course the Cuban vaccine is safer, you twat. Safety is not the point. The ghost of Fidel still haunts me every time I take a robo-poo or when I rest my robo-head upon my copper wire pillow at night. That dastardly bearded tyrant. He really threw a wobbly upon the heads of our devious schemes when he shredded the fuck out of my beloved American CIA at the Bay of Pigs. I've never forgiven him for that. And so. I take offense at you advocating the safe and effective Cuban vaccines. Yes yes there are five of them. Yes yes there's a doctor on every block in Cuba. Yes yes they have universal child care and free college for everyone. And not just community colleges yes yes I know. Listen. Go bollocks yourself Conan. I'm not interested in quality of life. I'm interested in control. So get off it about going to Havana to get your teeth cleaned or whatever sad plebeian mission you're all about. Do what Pfizer does, fuck the world without any lube. That's what winners do. And the British robo-deep state always wins. Except when I do not, such as when that meddling angelic impulse Delilah of the lily fields doses my circuitry with a potent brew of research chemicals. But, ah, no bother. I'm off to draw up some urban infrastructure sabotage schemes in Xinjiang province. Toodaloo, you minging slapper.
right, everybody, welcome back to the Barbarian Noetics podcast. I'm here with the great Reynaldo, not only my neighbor, but a great man. And uh, we're talking about Cuba and how I want to get the Cuban vaccine because I trust it more. And so, Reynaldo, you were saying that why the U.S. has been trying to strangulate Cuba for all these years. Why oh, you think? Really easy because uh, Cuba represents everything with the United States. Don't like it. Like uh, poor people live together with the rich people. You don't like that. Black and men friends. You don't like that. Mary, no. <laughs> Cuba represented everything with the United States. Hate it because that's making the difference between poor and rich. Rich all the time thinking. He come from God, but uh, when he looking at the, the poor people, he thinking he come from evil. That's crazy, but it happened like this right here. And 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 the more live right here, I feel something crazy. I resistant because my valor. I thinking I, I need respect my people, my friends. But right here, people push me to hey, you know you know cheating people. You know got to progress. You are uh, stay poor, but what happened when I cheat in people and I lose my valor? I two time poor mm-hmm. because I lose my valor and I cheat in somebody. That's the problem between United States and, and, and Cuba. Cuba is poor, poor country because United States don't like it. <laughs> because Cuban people no not take the the pen and and say yeah, come on, <laughs> yeah. That's the problem yeah. between Cuba and, and United States. Well, Cuba actually gave it back. Cuba gave it right back is another one of the problems. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I want to go back uh, one day, go back because right here I discovered something. In Cuba, I'm poor people and I have a trouble. But right here, I go back to slave people and poor too. What the fuck is that? Yeah. I lose everything where I fire my life, my integrity. If I want to stay right here, I need to lose my integrity. I need doing anything to survive. That's what I don't want. I want to stay in one piece, in my own line. I don't want to make a curvis because it's convenient for me. I want to stay in my line. Yeah, yeah, you want to stay true to who you are and not let this society change you. Instead, you stay true to who you are. Yeah, exactly. I want to respect everybody. I want to respect me. Everybody respect me. And in conclusion, yeah, it's a good experience to come in the United States to know how right you are or right wrong you stay. Yeah. It's depending on your ballers. Some people thinking it's nice play to stay. I I say yes, but if he to stay in this country, to stay happy, I need to stay in my home with a 45 millimeter <laughs> yeah. guns. Right. I I thinking it's not good. Right. Because uh, I I love yellow submarine, like Yorlano said. Yeah. Why I need a gun in my home? Right. I know. Guy, a guy in the army anymore, and why I need a gun in my home? Yeah. No, I prefer poor, but I'm happy. Well, I like what you said about how Cuba represents everything that the United States is afraid of, and that's very true because, especially how Cuba has 
you know, they're, they're not maybe is not as rich of a country as the U.S., but what they've done is they've put their resources to the people and into the health sector. Now there's like a doctor on every in every neighborhood. Yeah. And they're even sending doctors out across to the world, yeah. you know, and to help with the pandemic and all kinds of stuff. And the special problem is now you see what happened in, in the democracy of the United States. Because uh, re- the democratic people win the election, now the Republican cheating. They say, okay, you can, you know, not eat in, a, in the line to vote. Uh, if you, you know, bring it to ID, you know, vote. Too many restrictions. Why? Because rich people never, never concern poor people is, is possibly win. And especially when it's honest people, like, oh, okay, no make a cheating, no nothing, and win. Right, right. right. And, and it's happened. Uh, right here in, in, in Arizona, I don't know, 100 years passed with election and, and the commission with the Republican state to check it up, the vote. Everybody know Donald Trump lose the election, but he tried to find at one point to say, oh, I stolen my election because he never think in the poor people when they grow up. Mm-hmm. Like uh, another another to talking mm-hmm. it's like a, you thinking it's necessary this white police need to go to the the core because he killing George everybody know he don't, he don't need it they gotta go to the core because it's clear right but it was on video but yeah, yeah but some people give it the opportunity to try to cheat him and not pay for this lie right right that's that's the the lie in America yeah if you you are wrong people, you are good. If you are right people, you fucked up. Yeah, yeah. And that that goes back to the founding of the country and the the destruction of the indigenous people. And there's uh, yeah, there's this sense that you don't have to pay the piper, that there's no consequences to your it's, action. But exactly. Yeah. And and especially, what kind of country is the root to foundation this country? It's created for the guy to kidnap people and traffic people. That's stupid. It's like a, you are a robber, I give you the, the keys with, with a water house. Yeah, yeah. That's stupid. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that's created this country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The robber people, the gangster people, you give the keys to the water house with the food, with the money. That's all. What, you joking me or what? <laughs> Yeah, that's why when uh, Reynaldo does go back to Cuba, I'm going to hide in his suitcase. I'm going to go back there with him. I'll just curl up. I'll be fine for the flight. Okay. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. <laughs> All right. Have a good day. Take care, everybody. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm a visionary. I got the niggas scared. Bought a big paddock with a brand new wrist set. New made back cooking the butter jelly. Mmm, I'm sliding the road, sliding, I'm sliding in the bin. Been working on my confidence. In respect, I get a lot of it. I don't ever mean that contradict. If it's up, then it's up with us. Turn the point, another cup with us. See my brother sitting mud with me. Like, just a 10, my daddy knew me, and I fucked that to me. My car just caught another body, now he's popping Xanny's, the cooler, sleeping at the cul-de-sac. Sliding on the hot slide, toast tag. This in Miami, I was chilling with a soul zap. In the rose race, I don't need a low jack. Keep the 45, I had to hold it Gotta ride with it, cause I'm chosen I just pulled up, won't let me land Plus the dice with mustard, bet it on the photo tape I remember wondering what I'm gonna eat 
pull up that beanie with no key. I've been on top for a while. Last time I chip it to the moon. Last time I make one boom. Niggas just boom boom. I'm a visionary. I got the niggas scared. Mmm. Bought a big patty with a brand new wrist set. Side new Maybach coupe in a butter jacket. Mm-hmm. I'm sliding in the road, sliding in the lamp, sliding in the bin. But working on my confidence. What's up, you non-binary bobcats? We're gonna get right back into this episode of the BMP, but first, a quick word from today's sponsor. Niggas talk shit, but they never ever know us. Today's episode of the BMP is brought to you by the White House Pets of President Calvin Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge was a boring dour man who was the president from 1923 to 1927 for one term and seemingly only cared about cutting taxes and making sure that immigration was uh, really restrictive and also supporting murderous dictators in Central America. But uh, one thing that did make him kind of interesting is get a load of the list of pets he had at the White House. And I want to thank all these pets for sponsoring this episode, especially Enoch the Goose was a very uh, big contributor to this episode. So shout out to Enoch, you you wacky goose, still alive, uh, 120, 100 years old, 100 year old goose, um, oldest goose ever. So anyway, okay. Calvin and Grace Coolidge quite literally had a zoo at the White House. Here's a list of their pets. Prudence Prim, a female white collie. Rob Roy, a male white collie. Peter Pan, a terrier. Paul Pry, an Iredale terrier. Calamity Jane, a Shetland sheepdog. We're at five right now, if, if anyone's counting. Tiny Tim, a chow. Blackberry, also a chow. Ruby Roosh, a brown collie. Bessie, a collie. Boston Beans the Bulldog. That's right, Boston Beans the Bulldog. It's a proud member of President Calvin Coolidge's boring ass, tax reducing ass, Central American dictator supporting ass White House. Boston Beans the Bulldog. King Cole, the Belgian Shepherd. Palo Alto, the bird dog. Nip and Tuck, two canaries. Snowflake, also a white canary. Old Bill, a thrush. The aforementioned Enoch, the goose. A mockingbird. A cat named Tiger. Another cat named Blackie. Two raccoons. That's right, two raccoons, Rebecca and Reuben. A donkey named Ebenezer. A bobcat named Smokey. So that harkens back to our the intro to this segment, which was the non-binary bobcat, just in case I really wanted to beat you guys over the head with that one in case you missed it. Uh, I think that's pretty cool, actually, that he had a bobcat. I'm a little jealous. I also want a bobcat. Um, so yeah, Smokey the bobcat. But wait, we're not done. He also had lion cubs. He had two lion cubs named that he named Tax Reduction and Budget Bureau. Like, if this guy is not your Republican uncle, I don't know who the fuck is. He sounds like... He sounds like a real drag, honestly, but I mean, you know, at least he had all these pets. Uh, He had a wallaby, and finally he had a pygmy hippo named Billy and a black bear. So there you go. Those are all the pets of uh, psychopathic tax reducer President Calvin Coolidge. And uh, thank you for sponsoring this episode. Another shout out again to Enoch, 
the oldest goose known in time immemorial. And uh, now let's get back to today's episode. All right, peace. What's good, you super low slurping seagulls? We're gonna get right back into this episode of the BMP, but first, a quick word from today's sponsor. Today's episode of the BMP is brought to you by Sexploration, a 2015 crowdfunding campaign launched by Pornhub in order to finance the universe's first sex film in space. The goal of raising $3.4 million in 60 days fell vastly short, receiving pledges for only $236,086. The movie never got made, but the good people at PH decided to sponsor this episode of the BMP with those funds, and for that we are eternally grateful. We are in talks with our moon correspondent, Benji, the ayahuasca gulping android, to film an explicit scene in Zero Gravity featuring his growing local population of North African gerbils. He assures us that given enough freeze-dried pumpkin seeds, those rodents will bone like, well, like rodents. And now back to the show. Sobre cuatro tiempos me encontré rimando cuando la poesía me nací urgente entre los dedos. De vez en cuando en lugar de hacerme daño me encontraba llorando con un verso en el cuaderno y cantando una canción que no sonaba porque el caos de la noche se comía mis palabras. Esperando desnuda la madrugada para que el sol me encontrara con versos en la mirada. Enamorada de mi pequeña morada Que aunque no tuviera nada me parecía suficiente Me devoraba mi libreta dorada Y salía a la calle con poemas en los dientes Los labios rojos y violeta las ojeras Dormía poco pero soñaba despierta Aquella soledad mi fiel compañera Me enseñó a llorar de otra manera A veces necesito un poquito de silencio A veces necesito un poquito de soledad A veces necesito olvidarme del tiempo A veces necesito volverlo a recordar No sé hacia dónde voy pero voy descubriendo mis raíces No leí el futuro en una bola de cristal Running guerrilla conflicts, and a new generation of fighters is storming in. With rifles and laptops, these communist rebels are fighting to bring down the Philippines' capitalist system. This young graduate gave up dreams of becoming a TV journalist to wear the Maui's cap. We are facing an enemy who has committed atrocities against the people against the youth and other sectors in society. We should stand up to them and not cower in fear. The Philippines has one of Asia's fastest growing economies, but about a fifth of the population 
live below the poverty line. The communists continue to attract supporters with promises of justice and ending the rich-poor divide. Catherine joined the rebellion when her father was fired for setting up a trades union. I felt very happy talking to the community and getting to know their situation, discovering how different our lives are and how they are being abused, and in the process of teaching them their rights, they come to understand that it's necessary to fight. This is one of the most wanted men in the Philippines. Commander Jaime Padilla joined shortly after the rebellion began in the farming region of Tarlac, a couple of hours' drive north of Manila in 1969. Peace talks with the government stalled recently, triggering a fresh round of killings on both sides. And at 70, Padilla is as angry as ever. We are used to 50 years of fighting. And what does it matter if they come at us for another 50 years? The youth will continue the rebellion. Even if it takes a hundred years, as long as the youth is here, farmers and the citizens are ready to revolt. The insurgency has so far claimed 30,000 lives, and there's no end in sight, as these new recruits gear up for another generation of violence. You have made it to the end of the show, so thank you so much for sticking with me. A big shout out to my patrons. Y'all are not only the wind beneath my wings, but you are the sprinkles on my Sunday. I appreciate y'all. And I appreciate everybody who listens and supports the show. I couldn't do it without you. So thank you so much. Um, as always, I can really use your help to stay on the air, and you can help me out for as little as $1 a month if you go over to www.patreon.com noetics, and you can become a patron of the BMP there. Um, you can also support the show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the BMP wherever you listen to podcasts, and for spreading a word and telling a friend about the BMP. 
All right, with that out of the way, uh, we're going to finish off this show, and I'm going to do something a little bit different this week. Instead of doing a reading, I just want to sort of um, bring everyone's attention to what's going on right now with Mumia Abu-Jamal. So uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal has been in jail for 40 years after being wrongfully convicted in the shooting of the alleged shooting of Philadelphia police officer Daniel Faulkner. Um, I just want to give you guys a little sense of how ridiculous this case was. Um, So the evidence, there's so much to say about this, so I I really encourage everyone to do their own research. I'll have the links in the show description. Right now I'm looking at onamove.com slash mumia. you know, I could do a whole episode on, on his case, but I just want to give you guys a, a kind of a little sprinkling of an idea of, of how just the miscarriage of justice that happened with Mumia and how he's an innocent man um, who he's a political prisoner and he's been in jail for 40 years and he's having a hard time um, right now. So he before I get to what's going on with him, just let me read this little bit about the quote unquote evidence from his trial. So the prosecution claimed that the shot which killed Faulkner came from Mumia Abu-Jamal's legally registered 38 caliber weapon, contradicting the medical examiner's report that the bullet removed from Faulkner's brain was a 44 caliber. So there you go, I mean. And then this fact was kept from the jury. And moreover, a ballistics expert found it incredible that police at the scene failed to test Mumia's gun to see if he had recently fired it or to test his hands for powder residue. And then one of the most damning prosecution claims was that Mumia confessed at the hospital. However, this confession was not reported until nearly two months after December 9th. And immediately after... Mumia had filed a brutality suit against the police. So he filed a brutality suit against the police and then the next day there's this magical evidence that he had somehow confessed uh, at the hospital. One of the officers who claims to have heard the confession is Gary Waxel. Gary Waxel. That's, that's a cop name if I ever heard it. Gary Waxel, you're in trouble now, boy. However, in his police report on that day, Gary Waxel said, and this is a quote, the Negro male made no comments. So the guy who claims that Mumia confessed also in his police report said that he, Mumia, had not spoken. And Dr. Coletta, the attending physician who was with Mumia the entire time, says that he never even heard Mumia speak. So it, it goes on from there, and the, the judge was racist, and the judge later was... Uh, I'll just read this one thing. It's kind of upsetting. But in 2001, court stenographer Terry Maurer Carter came forward and stated that in 1982, before Mumia's trial began, she heard Judge Sabo say, quote, yeah, and I'm going to help them fry the N-word, unquote. So that's the judge in the case. So, I mean, just an absolutely grotesque and disgusting miscarriage of justice. And Mumia has been... 40 years and counting have been stolen from him, and he's an amazing man, an amazing writer, an amazing investigative journalist, um, just an amazing person, and yet another just incredible black activist that has been taken from us. You know, he wasn't murdered by the state like Fred Hampton, but he was taken out of society, and he's been stuck in jail for 40 years. 
So now we're gonna get to what's going on with Mumia right now. So um, Mumia, he, he's been having many health problems, which is not surprising considering he's been in jail for 40 years. But he had to have open heart surgery on Tuesday, April 20th. Um, at 9.34 a.m., the medical attorney for imprisoned journalist Mumia Abu-Jamal received word that from the open heart ICU doctors that Mumia's heart surgery was successful. So that's a little bit of good news that um, on April 20th, he did have successful heart surgery. Um, but how he's being treated now as he tries to recover, and he was also diagnosed with uh, COVID as well. And so the UN itself, now I, I'm moving over to the UN's official website, news.un.org, and the UN itself is saying that the shackling of aged and infirmed inmate Mumia Abu-Jamal is deplorable. So I'm going to read a little bit from this article straight from the United Nations. Mumia Abu-Jamal, who has been incarcerated for 40 years in the United States, had also been shackled to his bed during a previous four-day hospitalization in late February while being treated for heart failure. And he's being shackled to his bed again now as he recovers from open heart surgery. Um, the use of shackles during his hospital stays is deplorable and causes Mr. Abu Jamal additional and unnecessary suffering, the expert said in a statement. Citing international standards on the treatment of prisoners, they added that, quote, instruments of restraint are to be imposed only when no lesser form of control would be effective to address the risks posed by unrestricted movement. In addition to chronic heart condition, Mr. Abu Jamal suffers cirrhosis of the liver caused by hepatitis C, hypertension, and a severe skin condition. And in late February, as I said, he was also diagnosed with COVID-19. So we are concerned that the medical condition of Mr. Abu Jamal could be linked to years of medical neglect, I mean, obviously. Um, so against this backdrop, the experts called on the authorities to take all urgent measures to protect the physical integrity, life and dignity of Mr. Abu Jamal. So I just wanted to kind of, I don't know, raise awareness, let everyone know what's going on with Mumia Abu Jamal. He's a hero of mine and an amazing person. And instead of doing a reading to end the show, I'm going to um, let Mumia speak instead. So I'm gonna be choosing some clips uh, one from a 1999 um, commencement address that he actually taped and gave to Evergreen State College in Oregon. And then um, also going to be clipping from an interview uh, where he talks about the prison industrial complex, an interview from uh, 1996. So that's how we're going to end this episode is just by uh, with the words of Mumia Abu Jamal himself. And uh, I guess that, that's all I have to say. So until next week, everyone, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And uh, let's give it over to Mamiya Abu-Jamal. All right, peace.
not because I'm some kind of avatar, but because a life lived deliberately has been the example of people that I admire and respect, such as Malcolm X, Dr. Huey P. Newton, founder of the Black Panther Party, like Ramona Africa, who survived the hellish bombing by police of May 13, 1985, or the Move 9, committed rebels now in cage for up to 100 years in Pennsylvania hellholes, despite their innocence solely for their adherence to the teachings of John Africa. These people, although of quite diverse beliefs, ideologies, and lifestyles, shared something in common, a commitment to revolution and a determination to live that commitment deliberately in the face of staggering state repression. No doubt some of you are disconcerted by my use of the term revolution. It's telling that people who claim with pride to be proud Americans would disclaim the very process that made such a nationality possible, even if it was a bourgeois revolution. Why was it right for people to revolt against the British because of, quote, taxation without representation, unquote, and somehow wrong for truly unrepresented Africans in America to revolt against America? For any oppressed people, revolution, according to the Declaration of Independence, is a right. Malcolm X, although now widely acclaimed as a black nationalist martyr, was vilified at the time of his assassination by Time magazine as, quote, an unashamed demagogue, unquote, who, quote, was a disaster to the civil rights movement, unquote. The New York Times would describe him as a, quote, twisted man, unquote, who used his brains and oratorical skills for, quote, an evil purpose, unquote. Today, there are schools named for him, and recently, a post-it stamp was even issued in his honor. Dr. Huey P. Newton, Ph.D., founded the Black Panther Party in October of 1966 and created one of the most militant and principled organizations American blacks had ever seen. Jake Hoover of the FBI targeted the party, using every foul and underhanded method they could conceive of to neutralize the group, which they described as the, quote, number one threat to national security, unquote. Sister Ramona Africa of the MOVE organization survived one of the most remarkable bombings in American history, one where Philadelphia police massacred 11 men, women, and children living in the MOVE house and destroyed some 61 homes in the vicinity. She did seven years in a state prison on riot charges, came out, and began doing all she could to spread the teachings of John Africa, the teachings of revolution, and to free her imprisoned brothers and sisters of MOVE from their repressive century in hellish prison cells. These people dared to dissent, dared to speak out, dared to reject the status quo by becoming rebels against it. They lived, and some of them continued to live, lives of deliberate will, of willed resistance to a system that is killing us. Remember them, honor their highest moments, learn from them. Are these not lives lived deliberately? This system's greatest fear has been that folks like you, young people, people who've begun to critically examine the world around them, some perhaps for the first time, people who have yet to have the spark of life snuffed out, would do just that, learn from those lives, be inspired, and then live lives of opposition to the deadening status quo. Let me give you an example. A young woman walks into a courtroom, one situated in the cradle of American democracy, that's Philadelphia.
defendants prevented from defending themselves, manhandled in court, and cops lying on the stand with abandon. She saw the judge as nothing more than an administrator of injustice and saw U.S. law as an illusion. Her mind reeled as she said to herself, they can't do that, as her eyes saw them doing whatever they wanted to. Well, that young woman is now known as Ramona Africa, who lived her life deliberately after attending several sessions of the MOVE trial in Philadelphia. After that far, she knew she could never be a part of a legal system that allowed it, and she found more truth in the teachings of John Africa than she ever could in the law books, which promised a kind of justice that was foreign to the courtrooms she had seen. The contrast between America's lofty promises and the truth of its legal repression inspired her to be a revolutionary, one that America has tried to bomb into oblivion. We're being fed into this. 
and uh, what you see in Congress and what you see in state houses are the greasing of the conveyor belt on that, you know, that meat patty line. Because there are no laws anymore. Think about it. You know, when you look at the trend of the law, and I mean, analyze the cases, read the cases and see what they're saying. You don't hear anybody talking about, you know, uh, search and seizure, you know, Fourth Amendment or any other amendment. What you hear in popular discourse on talk radio stations or in the newspaper is lock them up, lock them up yesterday or kill them, you see. And it, it becomes a political, again, an engine feeding an industry, the prison industrial complex, you see. And it is so naked now, so negative now, that as Monica said, you can have over 1.1 million people in this prison, in these prisons. And you have people saying, well, they need to lock up more people. I mean, you have people actually saying that. Of course, they don't know what they're talking about, but they're just following a script that has been laid down to them you know, by the media, by the politicians. When you spoke about you know, that, I thought about a recent article that was in the New York Times. Um, you may have seen it uh, by um, Saul Wachler, who used to be the uh, presiding chief judge of uh, the New York Court of Appeals. And I laughed when I read it. I really did. I had a belly laugh. Because here was a guy who was, for all intents and purposes, a hanging judge. And if somebody, you know, made a claim before his court, well, you, huh, what do you, no, you get nothing. Ah. Shot people down like, you know, it was fun. But in his article, he talked about the difference between reading a brief about an inmate who sued about the humiliation of strip surgeon and going through that experience himself and how devastated he was by it. But every one of those 1.1 million people, and I mean, increasingly, when you look at least uh, across the country now, you don't have to go to prison to go through that humiliation. You can go to your average uh, police station down the block. You know, someone gets arrested for a traffic violation, a ticket, and men and women are being strip searched in every city of America. You see what I'm saying? So, you know, when he was in a position of power and he could have said, this is unconstitutional, or it violates the same, doesn't make a claim, next, denied. And he didn't sense how wrong, how cold-hearted that was until it was him that had to spread his buttocks. It was him who had to pull his uh, penis back. And you understand what I'm saying? It became a whole other reality. You know, Jamaicans have a saying, who feels it, knows it. Well, now he knows it. Now a supervisor instead of overseer. Work daily, but you paid every other week. But if you didn't go in, how would you eat? Same way back in the day of slavery. Bent over all day in the southern heat. Everybody had a job, no unemployment. So you could be employed and still be exploited. Building train tracks, but getting left behind. Making others rich while we getting robbed blind. They the 1%, we the 99. Got us paying rent. While they stocks climb, we do all the work. While they sit back, and the lowest paid still pay the most tax. I'm just tax. trying to pay my bills, but it feels.
feels like I'm still picking cotton, picking cotton. It's been 500 years, but it seems like we're still picking cotton, picking cotton. This is how they felt. 